Right. As you can tell, obviously, uh, Tim's not here. He and his wife, Kelly, are uh, on a well-deserved vacation out in California. Hopefully, they're not uh, baking in the sun too much out there. But one more time, there's handouts if you haven't got them. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, open with a word of prayer. Father God, we uh, come to you right now. We ask that you would um, be with us, be in our midst. Uh, untangle any thoughts or words that uh, I have so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so my challenge today is I've got two clickers. One for that and one for this. Now, last time I did this, Scott was here and uh, he had developed a way where we could uh, just do one using a Zoom conference, but I got a video today, and because the video is so fantastic, I think, and Tim's the one that gave it to me, so I know it's good, um, there was too much of a lag. It was like one of those old uh, movies where the lips don't quite match up with the words. So the alternative was to kind of do it this way. So I'm, my goal is to make sure that whatever you see up there is what I'm seeing here, so I'm not, I'm keeping up with everything. So what, um, what we want to do today, before we start, I um, want to touch a little bit, just quickly capture what we talked about last week. So last week, Tim talked about, um, it was kind of strange, the topic he talked about, he didn't really give us the punchline until it was over. Almost towards the very end, if you caught it, it was a one-word description of what he was focusing on from Titus chapter 3. And what was that one word? Obedience, that's right. There was, a, there was the focus that um, Jesus is being called Savior instead of Lord, that um, there's the do good, do good, do good, do good. But the emphasis was not on that doing good is going to lead to our salvation. In fact, it was because he wanted to focus on obedience and our love for the Savior that we would, in fact, then do good. And the way he, he captured it was that you know, we're saved by God's mercy, um, we're justified by his grace, and then as a result, we're able to do those good works. And there was emphasis on the motivation rather than the methodology, and that the gospel leads to godliness, and that our belief will impact our behavior. That, in a nutshell, is what he uh, talked about last week. So, Today, we're going to get into something um, that kind of takes and expands, especially on the obedience part. And it's connected, but it kind of broadens it out. So we've got up here our position, our condition, and our transition in Christ. Uh, we're really going to focus primarily on the position and condition, not so much the transition. And a, another way to look at that is the words justification sanctification and glorification and those are more of the I guess theological technical terms and there's, there's a couple different ways we're going to look at this um, in your handout there you'll see that at the top it's a fill in the blank and then we're going to have a couple charts uh, that the third charts the one we're going to spend the most time with that the third charts the one that Tim gave me that he's used for discipling um, others especially through crew and he, um, and he really wanted us to go through that one. So that's what we're going to do. So when we look at uh, these three words, uh, there's sometimes 
like you know there's the confusion of well which one ends where and which one is connected to what there there can be some th the purpose of this chart here is to kind of bring some clarity into it and when we look at the three justification as a christian justification is something that's happened in the past this is kind of the win the past sanctifications in the present and then glorifications in the future and then when we talk like what is it it's a phenomenon now that's a kind of a tricky word because i think a lot of times there's confusion like something that's a phenomenon is like something mystical or cosmic or kind of squishy the reality is that the definition for a phenomenon, it's something that, it's a factual reality. It's something that has actually happened. It's an event in time. There is no squishiness to it. It is a done deal. When we are justified, it is a done deal. Now, sanctification, on the other hand, is, is a process. It's an ongoing thing. And glorification is a promise. So if you had to use one word right now to describe what I'm doing, what would you say? Standing. I'm standing. This is the position I'm in. I'm standing. And let's say I want to walk to the other side of the, this dais, whatever we call this platform. If, if I go, what am I doing now? I'm walking. And I get to my destination, you can say that I've arrived. So another way to look at that is to say that justification is the position we have Sanctification is this walk, this progression we're going through, and then when we arrive at our destination and we are glorified, it's a permanent status. And the best way to look at it is the relationship we have with Jesus. Justification, I am in Christ. Sanctification, I am becoming conformed to the image of Christ, and the glorification is I will be like Christ. So this is another way to look at it. That was we're kind of looking at it as the phases. This is kind of the process, and it's hopefully just going to say the same thing with a little bit of a word or a little bit of a picture. So we're born, and when we're born, we have Adam's sin imputed to us. We are born dead in sin. And then, thanks to God, we uh, come to Christ. And at the point of our conversion, we are justified. And we begin this, this Christian life that we're in. And then from the point of justification, we start this walk, this sanctification. And it's this progressive growth we're talking about until we come to the end of the road and we are perfected in Christ at our point of death. So this next um, chart is the one that Tim, Tim gave us. And it's the second one on the right of the handout. And it's got a lot of information on it. And so we're going to, I'm going to go over it real quick just to kind of lay the foundation of the framework. But then we're going to go and look at each one of the five parts of that chart and digest them a little bit, tie them into some scripture, and uh, discuss it a little bit. So the first is, I'll thought that we call this the axis of righteousness. It's on the column number one there. And then on the bottom, we have our timeline. And I didn't want to take the liberty of changing the um, date of 70 years over there. So I know there's some in the room that's going to say, whoa, 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 I'm, I'm already off the chart here. I, you know, I don't like that. And that's a good thing, okay? And I could have put 70 plus or minus. Um, I, I guess it's based on 
Psalm 90, Moses, he said, uh, you know, 70 years was given to man, perhaps with strength, 80. Um, but anyway, it, it, it is what it is. Uh, number two is um, our walk in our life before we come to Christ. And then at one point, some point, we actually come to Christ. And before we get to the justification, I think we need to talk about grace. Grace is pivotal between this number two and this number four when we get to the justification, which is our position in Christ. And then once we start that, we begin this condition of uh, growing to become conformed to his image. So let's uh, start off with number one there. Um, Number one, righteousness. So you can see it's, let's see if this one, ah, we got our 0%, we got 100%. And I think in the handout I put all or nothing. It, anybody want to, why do you think I put all or nothing? Pardon? That's right, that's right. That's exactly right. So it is all or nothing. Um, it's not like, well, I've done pretty well today. I'm at 30, 40, you know, whatever. A lot of times people will, will compare, do the discussion about comparing Mother Teresa with uh, Adolf Hitler. And, well, Mother Teresa, she certainly was up here, and, you know, Hitler's down here. The reality is, as far as their righteousness goes on themselves, they're both at 0%. And that doesn't seem right from a worldly perspective, but the truth is, Mother Teresa, being in Christ, is able to do good works, and her righteousness is not for, from her good works. It's because she's in Christ and therefore here and not here. The, um, the verse that uh, really captures this is, as it is written from Romans 3, 10 through 12, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Um, I think every verse I'm going to bring out is on that handout, so you should, you should have it easy for easy reference. Uh, it's also kind of interesting. This is like a nice little trivia question. Whoops, I didn't want to do that. There we go. Um, as it is written, Paul is quoting not just a psalm, but in effect he's quoting two psalms. And Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 are virtually identical. Sometimes you can pull them out and just look at them and it's not the kind of thing I, I, normally you think every psalm has got some similarities, but these are just about identical, so it's kind of neat to see that. All right, so now let's go to number two on this chart. Number two is this time we are walking before we come to Christ. And our focal point, the scripture we're really going to focus on in that is from Ephesians chapter two. Because <laughs> Ephesians two has got this first part that talks about how we were before and how we are after. And it's just a great, great uh, passage to, to do this for uh, comparing the two. So Ephesians 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Uh, I, I checked one of my commentaries. Chuck Swindoll has got a very um, 
I won't say laid back, but a very layperson type commentary that I really enjoy. And he put this passage this way. We were, as it were, buried in our own trespasses and sins as a corpse is buried by dirt. We weren't merely grubby. We were interred. And just like a dead body resting six feet under, we were completely incapable of extricating ourselves from our grave situation. I love that play on word, a grave situation. So that passage, what was true of us in our position in Adam before Christ? We were spiritually what? Dead. We walked according to, and he kind of lists three things. What are the three things he listed? In the order that they are in the passage, world? In the prince of the power of the air, the devil, and then the flesh. And we were children of wrath. Passage that really captures the wrath is John 3, 36. And it's interesting, we all recognize John 3, 16, where Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus. And if you have one of the red letter Bibles, about halfway through it stops being read and it starts saying that John the Baptist is talking. And it makes it appear as if John the Baptist is the one saying this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So now we're going to go and look at number three, the grace. Like I said, I, I don't really think we can understand our position and our condition until we've really come to terms with what, what grace is. And uh, there's a great hymn that uh, Charles Wesley wrote, uh, And Can It Be, in the early 1700s. And there's this one line that really is, I think, just a perfect uh, description of this transition from Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 to Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. The, the diffusing is the sending forth and the quickening is life-giving. I think one of the old creeds uh, we had was the quicken the dead. And there's always this, the quicken the dead, what does that mean? Well, it's the living and the dead. And so this quickening ray is life-giving. And it's only by God giving that life-giving ray that we're able to proceed from there. And then we get to the what I consider probably two of the greatest words in the New Testament. But God. All this, you know, everything, it's, it's us, it's us and us, we try, we try, nothing. It's only because of God, but God did something. And God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the high, heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So if we, let's talk a little bit about motivation and then the results. The motivation, what motivated God? He, 
take action on our behalf. His mercy and his love. And then, as far as what did God do for us at the time when, when he saves us? He made us what? Alive with Christ. He did what? He raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places. And sometimes it's kind of, we're thinking like, well, I can say, yeah, I'm alive with Christ, but and I can see how I've been raised with the picture. He's actually, this is that kind of already but not yet language. And it's just one of those things to, to think about that we are so firm in our position in Christ that we are able to say, he seated us with him in the heavenly places. So as far as the basis, on what basis did he do it? By grace. And not because of anything we did our own merit. Uh, the definition of grace, I think it's it's pretty much a common use. What what is the definition of grace? Unmerited favor. That's that's generally what is spoken of. And and it's in that passage it says, even when we were dead, it's not only that we're not we don't merit it. We don't even have the capability. If you're dead, you don't have the capability to do anything even to try and merit it. And then what does his action in saving us display to the world? In the, the ESV is what I gave you there. It says the immeasurable riches. The, I think the NIV says the incomparable riches. Some of the other ones say the surpassing, the uh, abounding, the exceeding. Those are all great descriptive words of just what we have in Christ. Um, when, when I hear the word grace, I usually think of two people uh, in my family. One is my grandfather, uh, who passed away 42 years ago from a heart attack. And um, the last word he spoke as he clutched his chest and fell and died was grace. And I would love to think that was a great theological story, but the truth is, the reality is, my grandmother's name was Grace. <laughs> he was calling out to his wife. But I have to say, if I am conscious or aware of the fact I was about to die, I can't think of anything I would rather say as I left this world and entered the next would be Grace. Maybe gratitude, maybe love, maybe mercy. But to me, that would be the word I would most want to say as I pass from here to the next is grace because it's only grace that allowed me to go from here to there. The other person um, is alive, very much alive. Uh, my granddaughter, Rima Grace. Um, she lived in an orphanage for six years. Um, she had no power whatsoever to get out of that orphanage. There was nothing she could do. Absolutely nothing. She was trapped there, and she could do nothing about it. And it was because of the grace of God and the grace and love and mercy of my daughter Sarah and her husband Alan that they loved her before they met her. They went and they got her and brought her back to a new life. And to me, that's another great picture of what it's like to be trapped in this one life and by mercy by grace to be able to be brought into this new life and to be adopted into a new family 
much like we are with Christ. It's just, to me, a great picture of the two. So I'm going to show a video now, and I'm, I was going to apologize about the sound and by the video, but because I'm doing this double-clicking, I think I've got the sound and the video pretty good. Um, it's by Alistair Begg. Alistair was born in Glasgow, Scotland, but he's been in America. He's been the senior pastor of a church up in Cleveland for almost 40 years, 38 years, I guess. And it's less than four minutes, but I think, and some of you may have seen it before, but I don't think I've ever seen a better four-minute message of what it means to be justified in Christ and what it really means to be um, saved.
Isn't that great? <laughs> so several times he, um, he mentions that we need to preach the cross to ourselves all day and every day. So what does that mean, you think? We need to preach the cross or the gospel to ourselves all day and every day. absolutely right it's a daily reminder that we are incapable we have nothing to offer on our own filthy rags at best and it is only the cross of christ it's a great reminder uh pardon and that's it's so easy to forget absolutely and that's why it needs to be all day and every day and if we keep that thought in mind i think it, it really it becomes more of a habit to remind ourselves to do that like a lot of things that we start making a habit uh, dr martin lloyd jones who uh is actually somebody who alistair Begg would consider a mentor as long as as, as well as tim keller alistair i mean uh, uh, martin lloyd jones was a physician in um, england a welsh physician and he became a christian and he got rid of his entire he stopped being a doctor and became a preacher and for over 30 years, he preached in London. There's thousands of his sermons that were recorded. Many of them have been transcribed into books. But something that he often would say was, he, he would ask, are you a Christian? And if the response was, well, I'm, I'm doing my best, or I, I'm trying to be, then he knew right then and there that they really had a lack of understanding of what the gospel is and what the power of the cross is. So that now brings us to number four on the chart. There we go. I think that's it. There's something called a sympathetic reflex. Um, as a former person who was in law enforcement, I probably shouldn't share this, but there's, there's a reason why you never have your finger on the trigger unless you're intending to want to pull it. You always keep it outside. Because if you happen to grab something with this hand, there can be a tendency then to move this finger, and that's not what you want. But today, I want a sympathetic reflex so that when I push one, I get the other one. So I'm sorry I shouldn't have said that. So um, our position in Christ, this is where we get to the justification part. So there's going to be several passages we're going to look at, quite a, not quite a few, but three, I think. And we want to look at these passages and ask the question, what is true about us in these following passages? First one comes from First um, Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he, meaning God, made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. It's that we have this sin on ourselves that's taken off and it's put on Christ, and in return, what happens? His righteousness is imputed and placed on us. So we are righteous before God. And we are righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. Next passage we're going to look at 
Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith in this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we are justified. So in a courtroom, in a criminal courtroom, whether it's a jury trial or a judge, there's one or two, one of two verdicts that can be rendered. What are those two verdicts? Guilty or... So we have the, the judge who <laughs> is the ultimate judge, the only person who has the authority to declare guilty or not guilty, declaring us not guilty. You can picture where you know, the defendant is told to stand, and when we stand, our standing is not in our own, it's on his grace. Next passage we're going to look at is Hebrews now who's standing in this passage it's talking about before jesus that every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away any take away sins but when christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of god waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So this forgiveness we have, is it kind of a partial forgiveness? No, it's what? Complete. And our standing, is it a little flawed? There's something, it's inferior. We have to do something on our own. No, we have perfect standing and complete forgiveness because of what Christ did. So with that, let's go to number five on the chart. That's our sanctification or our condition. And it starts from the moment we are justified and we begin this walk of growing to be more like Christ. So it's kind of interesting you know, we talk about perfection. We can actually say we are perfect in our position. Not how we live our lives, but our standing, we are perfect in God's eyes because of what Christ did. But on the other hand, we are not perfect in our condition. We will have these ups and downs and ups and downs. Martin Luther um, called this simul usus et peccator. And I don't speak Latin, and I'm not sure about the pronunciation, but simul usus et peccator. Let's try it that way. Simultaneously, we are righteous and a sinner. And that's one of those kind of mind-blowing things when you think, wait a second, you know, how can that be? And from a worldly perspective, it's... It's kind of like that same mindset of Mother Teresa and Hitler. But the reality is, our position, we are perfect because of what Christ did. But our condition is what is the daily life we have to live. Tim kind of talks about, um, as a new believer, you have 
the time from when you sin to the time when you ask repentance, and sometimes it's too long. And the time between when you sin and do another sin is too short. The idea is as we grow mature in our walk with the Lord, the time between sinning and repentance becomes shorter. And the time between one sin and the next becomes longer. There will be sins, but there has to be repentance. And this is the whole process. Yes. Yeah, she's saying that in First John, was it First John three, that there's a. It, it sounds like that if you keep on sinning, that uh, you're probably not a Christian. And actually, Hebrews has some very strong warnings too. The, the key is to realize that if you are in fact in Christ, you are a Christian. That then begs the question: is how you're living your life? And this gets back to once again, what. Tim spoke to us about last week in Titus that it's not the good works that we're living. It's the fact that we have focused on Jesus and because we see him. Remember, I think it was the emphasis was on the Savior rather than on the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Savior. And that was very odd for Paul to make that change. But that's because of our focus and the love we have for Jesus is what enables us to have our belief change our behavior and that the gospel impacts our godliness. We, th there's, um, we want to make daily progress. We have to keep in mind there will be these ups and downs, but we want to make daily progress as we're living out this, this walk. We want to put spiritual disciplines into regular practice. Uh, probably one of the best known, there's lots of things that have been written on uh, spiritual disciplines. Probably the best known is Richard Foster's uh, book, The Celebration of Discipline. And in there, he basically takes 12 spiritual disciplines and divides them into three categories, the inward, the outward, and the corporate. Those things we do, the things that we, that just by ourselves, things that are, visible from up for others, and then the things we actually do as a group. Some of the, like the N-word would be like prayer, fasting, meditation, um, Bible study. Outward, let me use all four S's here, simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. And then corporately, confession, which for those who think in the service, those of us who will be going in, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. And then we have to remember that this journey is a lifelong process. It's not going to happen overnight, and there's a reason for that. We still have the, the flesh. We still have the challenges that we have as humans. But we should be making this progress because we're practicing, and it's a long time lifelong process. Uh, I, for some reason, started thinking of this 
it, it's a day-by-day -day life we live. And I thought of uh, 50 years ago, there was an off-Broadway play that came out, 50 years this year, Godspell. And I was just I was a teenager in 1971, and, and the uh, song that was probably the most, well, not probably, it was the most popular, was Day by Day. And uh, as I was talking <laughs> to my wife, she was, oh, great, everyone's going to be, because anybody who's, you know, 40 or 50, they're going to say, oh, great, day by day, you're going to hear that, and it's one of those songs that kind of gets stuck in your head. It's, it's kind of repetitious, it's, it's catchy, I think, but I thought, yeah, you know, it's probably, I don't know how scriptural it is, but doing a little research on it, it, I guess it was based on a prayer by uh, St. Richard of Chichester, who lived about 800 years ago, and he had said this prayer, and, and the three lines that we always see are, to see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, and to follow thee more near, uh, nearly. And, and he said, Jesus, I want to see you better. I want to love you better. I want to follow you better. Uh, I doubt if the Latin he spoke at that time probably rhymed like it does here, clearly, nearly, and dearly. But I thought, well, what does that mean today for us? And if you think about what was one of the first things Jesus said to his disciples, he said, come and see. He said, come and see. And I think for us today, it's through studying the Bible, the written word, we are then a better able to see Jesus, the living one. So spending our time day by day studying scripture. And Jesus said on more than one occasion, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so I think it's through prayer, getting back to what we talked about last week, and Titus, and obedience, that we're better able to demonstrate our love for him. And then Jesus said at the beginning also, follow me. And something I thought was pretty interesting is you think back to early on as he's starting his, his uh, ministry, he tells Peter and Andrew, Mark chapter 1, verse 16, he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so that's the very beginning, Mark being the first gospel that was probably written. And then if we fast forward and look at the last gospel written, John, in the very last chapter of John, in almost the last verse of the last chapter of John, there's this dialogue of Jesus and Peter. Peter is not fishing for men at this point. What is he doing? He's out fishing. And Jesus has been crucified, he's been resurrected, and, and he's alive, and he's on the shore, and Jesus starts having this dialogue with Peter, you know, do you love me, feed my sheep, do you love me, feed my lambs, do you love me, feed my sheep, and then he says, follow me, and Peter, of course, says, well, what about the guy over there, pointing to John, probably, and he says, don't worry about him, you follow me, and I thought, well, it makes perfect sense for Peter to be told by Jesus, follow me as he's starting his journey, as he's starting this ministry, because Jesus is going to demonstrate to Peter all the things about being the suffering servant, um, taking care of the, the infirmed, healing people, all these things. So it makes sense for him to say, follow me. But 
Here we are at the very end of the gospel, and Jesus is still saying, follow me. And I think that speaks to us who now live these almost 2,000 years later. When it says, follow me, we can still say, yes, just like Peter, because Jesus was just about ready to leave them and ascend. And he still said, follow me. And that's, I think, a message for us that we, too, should be um, following him. So I guess the next question I would ask is, where should our focus be? Our primary focus should be on our position or our condition? What, what do we think? Our what? We have positions and conditions, okay? Anybody, as Tim would say, you want to defend your, I can't say position unless you're, you def defend your position or your condition. Any, anybody want to challenge that? Kelly? Yes. So, so you're a vote for position primarily then. So I, when I started thinking about this, I, I was kind of thinking just a, a gut reaction, I guess you could say, would be conditioned because if you're not watching where you're walking, you're gonna, if you're looking over your shoulder, you might trip and fall. If you look too far ahead, you're going to trip and fall. But that's then saying that I have the ability to know what the right step is, that I have the ability to see properly and i think what lily said is absolutely right it's when we're focused on our position which never changes you know um, our condition always changes but our position it never changes so next question i would ask is the enemy which of these two, condition or position, which one do you think the enemy wants us to focus on? On our condition, absolutely. If we are saying, and it's just exactly what Alistair put, Begg put in his video, if our focus is on our condition and we're now thinking that's the basis for why God is going to accept us, we're just set up for failure one way or the other. Because... And Tim talked about this last week even. He even patted himself on the shoulder, I think. If, if we do well, and there are times when we will do well, the uh, temptation is to say, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing good. I got this down. And that's where the sin of arrogance and pride will, pride will creep in. And then when we fail and do poorly, which we know we will, um, I can't do it in his accent, but abject despair is 
what he said in the video, and guilt. And I think God wants us to always keep our eyes focused on the position because it's through the lens of our position that we have the ability to walk in our position. So, uh, closing, I'll just look at a few passages that are in there um, that kind of capture these this justification, sanctification, and glorification. First one is Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. As far as sanctification goes, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And then glorification, Philippians 3, 12 and 21. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And then the verse that kind of wraps it up is what Paul started his letter to the Philippians. I am sure of this. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, will perfect it, will accomplish it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I think we're about ready to start to head to any questions. I didn't leave much time for questions, so. All right, thanks so much.